Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What utter, utter bollocks. Hold on. Let me, if you give me five minutes, I'll get the wife to start painting the walls. <laughs> and watch that dry. And I'm talk through that. Lights off. I'm gonna get out of my underpants before I shit them. And uh, jobs are good. Hmm? Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman, joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. Matt Lamborn. Evening, gents. And Andrew Brooker. Hello. As we take on a slightly more different podcast than usual, we are doing a Failed Critics commentary of The Blair Witch Project. It's available on UK Netflix if you don't have it on DVD or any other medium. And if you'd like to join us on this adventure and want to put the film on, Press play now. Ooh, artisan entertainment. Yeah. They get credited for a lot of the pictures in this film as if it's a real documentary. It's all wobbly. It's it's meant to be like a documentary. So hats yeah, and yeah, but this bit shouldn't be. Even the front bit, that's awful. It's yeah. well it's a mockumentary more than a famed footage film because there was no such thing as a film famed footage film back then. The closest you had was like Man Bites Dog. Cannibal Holocaust. And Cannibal Holocaust. Okay, hands up who actually believed the hype when this was I, on I the brink of being released. I, I don't think hands up works on a very audio medium, Matt. <laughs> okay. I did hands Shout up. Shout out. I did because, I'll tell you what happened to me. You know the documentary The Curse of the Blair Witch, which was like shown on Sci-Fi Channel or, or Sky One or something around the time the film came out? Oh, Heather. <laughs> I had a big crush on her back then. Yeah. So I did believe the hype because I fell for that documentary. I thought it was real. I watched it with my mom. I was like, what the fuck? How could this be happening? And I went into school the next day and said to my friends, did you see that documentary? What the fuck was that about? And they were like, what? For the film, The Blair Witch? Like, what? A film? Yes, I fell for it. I thought it was real. You, I couldn't believe they revealed it. it to you, did you feel like a complete toolbag? An utter pillock, yeah. Yeah, I must admit I was very much the same. I think this sort of culminated with the height of me still watching WWF. So I was very gullible at the time. But it, it did a great job. It's one of the most ingenious marketing poise for a film that's ever been released. I mean, especially when you consider how cheap they made this film for. I think it was less than $50,000, right? It was 20-something 20, 20 thousand, I think. And they, what they did, you see those two cameras they used then? One is the 16mm, one's just a like handheld video cam. What they did, apparently, was it took eight days to shoot the film. At the end of the eight days, they took the camera back to the store they bought it from and got a refund. That's amazing. They saved money 
on the actual production by returning items they used. And also this scene, I know because I watched this like yesterday, right? And this scene there was the only bit that they recorded the audio separately to the film because they used the rights. They had some film uh, song in the background and they couldn't use the rights to it. They couldn't get the rights. So they had to redub it. Crazy. I've, I've seen this film a couple of times yep. and can't really remember it. But already I want everyone to die. <laughs> I don't like any of them. One looks like a hipster before hipsters became a thing. And they just seem irritating. Yeah, they're the, the original hipster. There's nobody likeable. And it just that is likeable. And it's annoyed me already that like it's obviously around Halloween time it's being done, there's Halloween decorations up. It just seems I don't know why that's irritating me. It shouldn't do. It doesn't make any sense. It just is. Well they went missing in October nineteen ninety four, apparently. That's the that's the plot of the film. Yeah. But Heather is meant to be she's the person who's driving this whole documentary, right? She's the student who's trying to get a project together. So that she's the Owen one. Hughes of this crew. <laughs> yeah, the pretentious, annoying one. That's that's my role in this pod, and that's her role in the film. Josh here is the guy who's supposed to be like a mediator, and Mike, who's the other guy, is meant to be the audience. He's meant to be asking the questions that you would ask as the audience if you were part of the film. So it's kind of... I don't know. I think it's quite an interesting dynamic of characters in the play, which I, I think they're really well thought out. But how characterised do you think they actually are, though? I mean, how much do you think their actual personality is imprinted onto the film? Because it doesn't look like there's a whole lot of of effort there, whether that's credit to the acting they're actually doing, mm. or whether they're just so nonchalant and actually in the performance itself, but. Well, this this bit here that Heather's doing, the, the documentary piece, right, at the graveyard, at the cemetery, this was something she wrote as an actual documentary in character. So what, what they, they basically, basically method acted the whole film. They told these guys what, they gave them a sort of like an outline of what their, their characters were, what their roles were within the three, the three um, man team. And they then spent eight days pretending to be those characters solidly. Yeah, see, I love that because I think that blurs the lines of authenticity just enough to make it semi-believable yeah. or if you're really gullible like me, very believable. But this guy here, this guy is an extra, right, from the next town over who they invited onto the the set and all of these people were just plants. The directors planted all these actors around and the crew, would, they didn't know who was an actor and who was general public and were told to just go around and interview the local townsfolk about this legend. Right? That's amazing. And the cast all thought the legend they were, they were filming about was real. They thought it was a real legend. But actually it was completely fictional. So they didn't know when they were talking to people who was genuine and who was just making up stuff and who had been given specific things they had to say. And capture on film. So when they react to all the stuff that, particularly this guy again, what he says, it's their genuine reaction is like, "What the fuck? Is this true?" It'd be different if they were actually plants. It's like they're the Triffids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So was that kid a plant then? She, I think, wasn't. They had to try and track her down to find out who she was afterwards and get permission to use her. Telling her mum to shut up. <laughs> yeah. Feel a pain. 
So who? So Brooker, you said before we started that you have seen this film once before. Once I saw it like the week it came out, and it's so funny. I was you know I was only telling somebody about this the other day as well because we were talking about horror films at work. See it being Halloween and all, mm-hmm. and we. Uh, I say I remember when it came out and there was all the, all the hype and oh, I was going to scare the living crap out of you because it's a true story and all this shit and yeah. I. Well, all this foreboding is really good, and that's what scared me the first time. You know, him talking about, oh, well, they take the kids into the woods and scare them. Yeah. Uh, make them stand in the corner and all that kind of thing. Was, that really fucked me up the first time I watched it. That guy there, right, in England, but this, is a, this, this film's 15 years old now, but it's set like 20 years ago. So, like, in England, if you went and saw a guy that age 20 years ago, he'd be dressed completely differently to what he is now. If you went to the same place in America to see a guy that age, he'd be dressed exactly the same as that. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, sorry, Brooker, carry on. You were saying. Right. So, yeah, so I went to see it, and I remember coming out going, well, that wasn't scary at all. That was actually a bit panned. And I was really disappointed because everyone's going, oh, I'll scare the crap out of you, and it all. It'll hang around with you for, for days and it'll, it'll keep scaring you. I'm like, no, nothing. And then my mate, I swear to you, he went, well, what you got to do, just forget about it. And in a couple of days, it'll come back to you and it'll just haunt you. So that was, what, 16 years ago. I'm and you haven't remembered waiting, it since. <laughs> waiting for it to scare me. And <laughs> I haven't spoken to him since. Uh, do, do, you live, do you live near Woods? I live in Milton Keynes. I never seen a tree in your life. I'm from South London. There are fewer trees there as well. <laughs> if you live somewhere that's like got some woods around it and that, then maybe it has more of an effect on you because you could think, I could just go off into the woods and that might happen because someone yeah, might be that, in there. That's probably me maybe. in a nutshell. I grew up as one of those kids who was always playing in the woods. And I saw... And you now you've grown up to be one of them adults that's always playing in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> you know what it was like when you were younger, you'd go into the woods and you'd find someone's pornography stash and you'd light fires and pretend you're Arnold Schwarzenegger and Predator and start like diving through all the rummage and everything. We had uh, so, the Jurassic Park with the long grass. That's what we used to pretend. You right. Know, raptors in the long grass. We just went and played football. Yeah, so if you've ever spent <laughs> a period of time in the woods, even daylight, particularly if you're not with a large group of people. There's little things going on all the time because the whole environment's alive, essentially. So it, it can really play tricks on you if you're even the slightest bit paranoid about what might be going on around you. It's been there is enough to give you a scare. So if you take that human condition, if you like, and then apply it to a fairly bold horror story, in this case, and it's a recipe that's really dwelling on or preying on the, fear, the most primal fears of so many people because so many kids have, have grown up that way. And I think it's very clever how they sort of went after a particular demographic with this. See, I say it again, though. See, I, I grew up in South London. If I danced about and dived around in the woods, you end up with a ripped-up beer can in your leg. <laughs> far, far scarier than this film. I, I doubt Epping Forest would have had the same kind of effect as what a, a normal forest would have had. I used to I used to play around in a disused quarry. That was quite fun. That was uh, also pretty scary because we used to stay out there all the time and it would just get pitch black and then you'd just be like, fuck, I hope I don't fall down one of those holes. And there would be kids who would start fire. In fact, there was one kid who threw a bullet that he found on a fire. That was a pretty scary moment in the woods. <laughs> oh, that's insane. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, we we always because we had because we live quite quite the seaside, but quite rural as well. Did you get away from the beach? Got friends who like lived on farms or out in the country, and you'd go around their house and camp out, or go off just wandering up onto the hill or into woods at night in the dark, just because that's what groups of lads did. Tried to basically scare themselves shitless. And after you've seen a film like this, you're thinking. You're going in, you still do it because you mm. know that nothing's going to happen, really. But you think, still think it walking around thinking, fucking hell, don't like this, something's going to happen, there's going to be something around there. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely, I had the same, had the same feeling. Just look, looking back across to the, the film here, the, this scene apparently was the longest amount of footage that they had for one scene that they had to edit. Because they literally spent all of their food and petrol money on booze and spent an hour and a half just getting pissed and filming it in this hotel room. And uh, Three guys, one girl? Yeah. Well, that was the other thing. Yeah, we know what happened when that camera got shut off. (laughs) Apparently, Heather took a knife with her into the woods. I read this on, on the IMDb page before. She took a knife with her into the woods because she was scared of sleeping in a tent with two strange blokes. I'm Maybe big she should have gone into the woods with. Two <laughs> yeah, but um, but yeah, apparently they all kind of argue all the time. Fucking hell! <laughs> what? Is that the Blair Witch? <laughs> well, Christ. you say that. You say that they were going to do a Deliverance-style ending to it with this guy and the other guy fishing as. The people sort of terrorising them in the woods. You know, Papa Scooby-Doo ended, they called it. Where it's just these, these guys. <laughs> and in the end, they... Exactly. I think that's what they decided and just ditched it. Based on the two Scooby-Doo movies they've made. That <laughs> I don't know. If you stick Del Boy and AIDS-ridden Clark Kent into a <laughs> Scooby-Doo movie... Yeah, man. <laughs> Del Boy. <laughs> <laughs> There yeah. is that only falls doors when they go off into that into that little cottage in the woods, isn't there? And the and the serial killer escapes, or the oh yeah, escapes, and he pretends to be the policeman. Yeah, yeah, classic episode. Yeah. yeah. So, did anyone actually get to see this at the cinema when it first yeah. came out? I think I was too. I think we tried, and we weren't allowed in. No, I'm I pretty sure that. I saw it on a pirated copy of a VHS. And I remember, I remember coming back from hanging out in the town when I was with some, and one of my mates was staying around at my house, and there's me, him, I think one of my other mates, my brother, and we watched it about eleven o'clock at night. It was on, I don't know what channel. I don't think it was a movie channel. It was on like MTV or something, or one mm-hmm. of the earlier MTV. And we watched it when we got back to to my house quite late at night. But I Some think we tried to see late nineties pop video. Yeah. <laughs> so this is very sort of Silent Hill esque, isn't it? Yeah, and very expensive because they shot all this on the sixteen millimeter camera. So for for those of us who aren't so technically proficient with filming technology, why is the sixteen millimeter so much more expensive? Because it's they have to use actual film, which costs a lot. Oh, um, mm-hmm. uh, whereas this that's in color, this scene, for example, would just be on the just video camera. Just a standard cassette tape videos. Right. Yeah. 
Which is the camera that they ended up returning to the shop. Um, oh, and also the 16mm camera, they sold that and all of the footage that was on the film on eBay. Recouped a bit of money from that as well. eBay was around in 99. Yeah, uh, I, I've had an account since '99 on eBay. Yeah, there you go. It was around for a few years prior to that because they were just selling like beanie toys or something of that ilk. That's how it started, yeah. and then eventually it became like a general auction thing. People selling their old shoes. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, this scene as well of them walking around and starting to get lost. They did actually get lost. The cast. It took them far too long to get to this point in the film. So it is real? Most of it is real. What the characters knew was that there was a legend of a Blair Witch and that they were going to be pretending to document it. But they were in touch with the directors, the two co-directors, um, via walkie-talkies. But they would only break that if they needed to. Um, so otherwise they would just stay in just character all the time. Um, if, and, if, if, oh, go on. I was just going to say as well, one, just because going back to the e- eBay point in 1999 and how the internet was really kind of just taking off, this was the whole thing about Blair Witch was that it was viral marketed the shit out of. Because on IMDb, the characters and the actors were all listed as missing, presumed dead. Yeah, that's that really clever. I just yeah. added to the hysteria behind it. Mm. And of all, through, all around Cannes, when the film was being shown, they put up, or was it Sundance or wherever it was, they put posters up of the actors and missing posters, you know, which is kind of cool as well. See, all of that I really think is quite clever and kind of pioneers what independent filmmaking should be about. I don't get why people hate on the Blair Witch Project so much. It's only, it's only got one star on Netflix when I put it on. You just, just think it's boring then, Brooker? Yeah, I don't hate it because it's badly made, or I don't hate it because it's an indie flick. If if I mm. hated indie flicks, I wouldn't be sat here talking to you guys, would That's I? That's true, very true, yeah. You know, but I just, I thought, I remember the hype for it, and I remember not really falling for it, and then not being convinced by it when I went to see it at cinema. And it's just one of them films I didn't really care for. Mm. You know, I don't think it's bad. I just, I was a bit bored. But yeah. how, how old would you have been in 1999, if you don't mind me asking? 17. 17, okay. Yeah. But you, just, you were a bit older than, than me. I was 13 in 1999. And I, it really, everything of there, it just got to me. I thought it was fantastic. I think the other thing, of course, about, about that time, I was trying to watch almost every horror film going. I hadn't long seen things like Scream. Yeah. And I was really getting into watching horror. You know, I I mm-hmm. spent my my free time watching things like Last House on the Left. Right. <laughs> yeah. Was, this was nothing compared to that. It's tame. Yeah. Brooker, is Joshua Leonard you? <laughs> By any chance? Is this like your first foray into like amateur film? Which Which one's Joshua Leonard? The oh, bearded the long one. Hair. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Now, this film is obviously, like Owen said earlier, one of the the kind of pioneers of found footage films. There's been very few good found footage films, although there are some. But for every one good one, there's probably five bad ones now. For every one good one, it gets its own five shit sequels. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm, yeah, I'm looking at rep. With fan footage, though, it's one of those things whereby it's always going to have diminishing returns. It can only be done to its maximum effect once, I think, which is what Blair Witch did for a lot of people, if not everybody who saw it. And everything that's come thereafter, well, the the trick's been done now. So you but, can, but it, it, can, but it can still work. I mean, stylish, but you you can never fall for that marketing like with Blair Witch for a second time. Well, no, you'll never fall for the, the marketing of it again. But there's some that really work. So you know that that still work well as the, the first paranormal activity, and maybe one or two after that. There was uh, Fourth Kind, Cloverfield did really well. Troll Hunter. Um, yeah, yeah, a few others as well. There's some awful ones like that one that was on the moon. Look, it's Dead Mouse and DJ. <laughs> <laughs> I think the the whole idea can be originated with um, the Orson Welles uh, War of the Worlds radio play mm. because that tricked people. Want to scare the crap out of people? Yeah, because people thought Martians were really landing and invading planet Earth. <laughs> I'd have loved to have been around. Pretty uh, fun. I would have fallen for flying and sinker. Yeah, going straight into the basement with a cold can because, of Because, quote-unquote, I want to believe. <laughs> yeah. But, but speaking of, like, sort of fake hysteria and whatever, I put a tweet out over the weekend about one of my favourite Halloween events. Mm-hmm. It was a similar type thing to the whole Orson Welles War of the World scenario. Did you ever see BBC's Ghost Watch in the early 90s? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. It's so bad. It's brilliant. And because I was so young at the time, I just didn't even attempt to dissect it as anything beyond real. And I was so convinced until right at the end. And then they absolutely spoiled it with what was going on in the studio and stuff. But it was such a clever, unique bit of uh, entertainment at the time. And I just, I like that whole premise. But that was like, um, that was like a set up as a proper TV show. So whereas the Blair Witch, like all of this footage here of them just walking around the woods and arguing gives it that, kind of mockumentary feel you know it's shot as a documentary and you're seeing all of the footage regardless of whether it contributes to the story or not it's just like this is it this is it all and the, the whole thing that it also pioneered was that it was found footage you know they're saying that they found this footage five years after the kids disappeared in the woods you know film set in 94 released in 99 um and they they sort of degraded the quality of the picture as well on purpose to make it look older so there's lots of like clever little things they do in this whereas yes ghost watch is great but it it's um it's got fucking michael parkinson introducing it and dave lister (laughs) and dave lister on on the set and stuff you know and pipes under the the cupboard pipes yeah it's a scary bastard yeah um but I love all this stuff in Blair Witch. I it's, love the it's, way it's, it's £250 for You've Been Framed. <laughs> <laughs> but this could be anyone's wood, though. It's not like a unique um, part of the world, necessarily speaking. Well, that's kind of what, what can make it more effective, is that mm. you could, if you're off in the woods and you suddenly think Blair Witch, oh, fucking hell, what I thought of that. But if it was like a, if it was like a more specific... Up. If it was more like a specific area, you could say, oh, that's the Australian outback or that's the American Midwest. Then you'd think, oh, I'm in the woods. I'm nowhere like the Blair Witch Project. This is just small town America. It's yeah. anywhere. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, this is all stuff that American kids in particular have done like thousands of times over. Yeah. So everyone can relate to the frustration of stomping around the woods and getting lost and wasting time going in one direction and then having to trek hours back in the other direction. And that in itself is is scary, getting lost in somewhere where you think you should feel familiar, but you don't. You've got to do little Boy Scout symbols, haven't you? You've got to do the arrows with twigs and the go-home thing and all that. (laughs) Do the Boy Scout thing and learn how to use a fucking compass and go home. Yeah. So this this bit here in the film is like their first proper interaction with something that's potentially supernatural finding all the rocks that are arranged and all that foreboding that I talked about earlier is now what's what's coming to fruition in the story. I, like I said, I just love how this has all been built up. And now it's gradually getting to a point where something big is, is going to happen. Yeah, it's um, not exactly Stonehenge, though, is it? <laughs> I, mean, I remember when I watched this for the first time I was like well that's nothing it's just a pile of rocks if anyone could have done that no big deal but yeah it's it's, it's setting you up for for a decision yeah. whereby you have to decide whether this is something that's totally irrelevant or is something actually going on here because then you have to think yeah anyone could have done that but why would anyone do that why would anyone just go and walk out to a random part of the woods and put some stones in a tree People like to fuck with people in the woods. Yeah, but how would you know anyone's going to go to that bit of woods? They're not exactly on a a National Trust footpath, are they? Well, as they say in uh, in the film itself, you know, have you ever seen Deliverance? I mean, it's kind of... (laughs) Why do people do it? (laughs) (laughs) Very good impression, Matt. (laughs) How'd you know it was me? (laughs) It was the accent. (laughs) A northern pig. Mm. I love Deliverance, so so yeah, I, I get the uh, the comparisons, roughly speaking, to this, at least in the the setting, anyway. Yeah. Well, that, that dude looks beyond stoned. Yeah, he looked very <laughs> Liam Howell at then in the early Prodigy days, and then he's got his techniques headset on. <laughs> thinks he's Jack, but he's Jill. You know. <laughs> yeah. That thing, so in the did... tree, that thing in the trees, they're holding the stones up. I'd have fucked that up so many times. I just got wound up in the end and gone home. <laughs> I would not have been able to build a basket of twigs that could hold stones in a tree. Yeah. But it's kind of, it's great that, that these guys in the film don't know what's set up and what isn't. So they just come across things. They're following a trail and occasionally they'll see rocks in a tree and think, well, who did that? Was it the people who... Uh, filming this, or is it to do with the actual legend that the toads folk may or may not have so, been and so they So they had to make sure they kind of didn't get anyone properly mental then, because if she's taken a knife into that tent, because she's scared of sleeping with three dudes end up going fucking cabin fever and stabbing a lot of them. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, some, like but she, so she doesn't know what's real, what's not and she genuinely gets creeped out and she starts thinking, right, I need to protect myself starts swinging a fucking knife around guts one of them by accident <laughs> It, yeah. These people, <laughs> if, they're, if they're trying, if they're trying to create, if they're trying to genuinely frighten these people on the film, or creep them out, or make them think it could be real, they must have some pretty level-headed people on it because it could have gone horribly wrong. Yeah, I guess it could have, but 
um, at the same time, I presume they were they had something in their contracts or were told don't kill each other. Don't yeah, but if, yeah, but if you're she might not have thought she was killing someone, she might have thought she was killing the Blair Witch. Turns the light on, it turns out it's the Pratt with a camera. But at the same time, she also knows she's in a film and that it more than likely isn't a real ghost. Well, you, know. you say that, but out of the woods, <laughs> they don't know what's going on. Yeah. In reality, it's one of the Knights of Knee. <laughs> yeah. Do you think the whole thing would have been more powerful if they'd done everything in, in black and white? I know that would have been very expensive and drove up the production costs enormously if they'd used the 16mm or whatever. But the, the black and white stuff is so much more effective, I think, as a, as a medium to portray what's going on than, than the colour. I think maybe the contrast of having this footage here, which is generally reserved for them documenting each other making a documentary, and then them having the black and white footage, which is them actually shooting the documentary they think they're making. It gives it a nice balance between, again, blending that whole reality and fantasy stuff. You know, what, like, like you just said, is someone there messing with them in this particular picture with the color and the grainy video footage? It could be someone messing with them in the 60 millimeter film, it looks more set up, right? Fair enough, but it, I know what you mean, it does look very good in, in black and white. You know, you see um, other films shot like that. I mean, Clerks came out in the same year. It was all black and white, and that kind of wouldn't have worked in colour either. Part of that film's charm is the the cheaper black and white film look. But here, I think the colour works. I think, like I said, the contrast is gives it the right sort of balance. Holy crap, Clerks came out the same year as this. No, so, so, uh, so sorry, did the... I didn't mean the same, it came out. I mean, the same year it was set. It was All right. Yeah. I was going to say, fucking hell. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what else came out the same year as this? The Crow. Phant- the Phantom Menace. Wow. Well, the- Blair Witch had a higher gross of pounds spent uh, money earned back. I think for every dollar they spent making it, they earned over 10 grand. The, fa- the Phantom Menace had a longer lasting, scary effect on me. Still haunts me. <laughs> haunts me far more than the player, whichever did. Yeah. It haunts a lot of people. But I genuinely found this quite scary. I showed it to my brother a couple of Halloweens ago when he was 16. And um, it was the first time he'd seen it. And that was only about three years ago, three or four years ago. And even he found this quite scary. And I think that's kind of the sign that, that, you've, that they've stumbled upon a formula that's worked, you know. Even people who were seeing this, I don't know, you could probably say a decade after it was made, still find it chilling at times, you know. Well, you could probably find people now, like teenagers now, who wouldn't be aware of this. So you could show them this without telling them that it's actually a movie. Say, this is a documentary, play it straight and freak them the fuck out. Hmm. So I like this part of the movie now where their their trust starts to disintegrate between each other because you definitely get the impression that they don't really like Heather that much or they certainly don't trust her, (laughs) that she's sort of in it for herself almost and then as soon as they start to get lost, all their politeness goes out of the window and they just really put the heat on her, which I think adds a great stress and tension to it. That's because that scene then with Mike shouting in the background 
it's because it genu they genuinely were lost. They genuinely had lost where they were and they didn't know where to go. So they were really actually frustrated with each other. I think that adds to it enormously. I mean, yeah. there's so much of it that is genuine, even if the overall premise isn't. But it just adds to how convincing it is. Mm. I think that is part of it, actually. I just think that, that how convincing it, it, it feels. Um, I like, I quite like little bits, like all the, the, just before then, the flicking around in the daylight. Yeah. Because actually, obviously, before I'd seen the film, you know, when I was watching it for the first time, I'm looking for things in the in the woods, mm. like stalking them. And I still do that now when I watch any kind of film like that. <laughs> but second time around, actually, I find this a lot less tense. It probably helps that I'm only listening to it in one ear. <laughs> yeah. Matt, you've got the lights off. Are you finding it scary? No. I mean, to be fair, you don't get scared until probably the last 15, 20 minutes of this. It's all build up, building mm-hmm. the tension circumstance at the minute they're just sort of poking around and they're not really sure if there's anything to be afraid of nor should the viewer be at this point you know it's Mm -hmm. a massive build up to almost like a single happenstance it's not like paranormal activity you go a while there's a little build up and then there's there's several scares Blair Witch doesn't actually work like that although this this whole shooting into the dark with the camera and you can only see like a set of eyes to appear. <laughs> yeah. Um... So, I mean, with, with horror films, where if you've seen them more than once, you might you know where the kind of scares are coming. Can they really keep their effect on repeat viewings? I suppose that's something I read the other day where it's like, there's no point watching The Sixth Sense more than once. Because, oh. because, once, because once you know what the twist is, he's a ghost, for anyone who's not seen it, then what's the point of watching it again? There's no suspense to it. There's no... Well, know. it depends what you get out of the film. If what you got out of it first time was only that, there was that twist, and you go, wow, what a brilliant twist well, that is. You know, you I know, never I need suppose... to watch it again. But then you've got stuff like Usual Suspects, which is a genuinely really well-made film. It's great from start to finish, and it isn't just about a twist or you know anything like that. But actually, yeah. the second or third time you watch it after you know the twist, it, mm, it can yeah. be a little bit more interesting to watch. Yeah. Usual Suspects, uh, Sixth Sense a little bit, I suppose, Fight Club. Yeah. All of those, once you know how it ends, you go, ah. Mm-hmm. And well, the fun think... thing about Fight Club is it rewards you though, every time you watch it because you'll find more That's... and more. Yeah. This isn't really like that. I mean, you, you can probably try and pick up on things a few minutes before they happen in this, but you're not going to figure it out dead early on. And then... but, but, I mean, this and, and most horror in general is slightly different, though, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I, suppose, I suppose with horror films, the idea is to scare you. So once you've been scared once by it, it's got to have think... something pretty special about it, uh, a horror film, to have that effect on you on the second viewing, a third viewing, a tenth viewing, a twentieth viewing. Because you, you, you know what the bad guy is, you know where he's coming from, you know where the jumps are, where the scares are. Yeah, I mean, some some horror films, I think you can watch them just as really, you know, after you know where the scares are, you can watch them as decent thrillers, if you like. Mm. And they mm. work with people like that. No, some but I mean, some, some, something perhaps like like this, or perhaps like Paranormal Activity, you know, Paranormal Activity, first time I watched it was really good, it made me feel really uneasy, uh, that kind of thing. But now if I watched it again, it'd be like, 
Well, no, that's going to happen. No, that's going to happen. Oh, that's going to happen. See, I know there's four dreadful sequels. See, I've watched, like, if we're going found footage, I've watched Wreck three or four times. Mm. And every time is brown trousers time. <laughs> every single time. It scares the shit out of me. Even though I know what's coming. It's all about atmosphere for horrors, I think, and how they can scare you again. Jump scares, when you know they're coming, like you just said, Steve, when you know that something's just about to go, boo, then, you know, it loses its effect. And if a film is only built on those scares, those jump scares, it's obviously not going to scare you again. But... Jump scares second time around are complete bollocks. They're absolutely pointless. They're laughable in most most instances. But something like Wreck... Or even this for me, even this, even Blair Witch scared me again the second time I watched it. Although there was a long time between the watches, because you know I watched it when it came out, and it was in 1999, and then I watched it again, probably only a decade later, um, and it scared me again. It, I, mainly because I kind of forgot about how it was it was put together. I forgot about the ending, which we'll come on to later, obviously, as we get to it. But that ending just scared the shit out of me. Twice it did that. <laughs> um, but yeah. And things like, for me, like I recently uh, rewatched the Evil Dead remake. Mm-hmm. And it's not a particularly scary film. It's more gruesome than anything else. But there's still a couple of jumpy bits in it that still, like on third or fourth viewing, make me jump and scare the crap out of me. And it depends on what you find scary, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I can't do things coming out the dark. <laughs> so you, so I'm surprised then you could you made it through this without being scared because a lot of it is in the dark and things sort of not being quite as they seem. Yeah, the the fear of things grabbing me out the dark scares the living bollocks off of me. <laughs> yeah. So where he this guy now Josh is arguing with Heather. Um, I read that apparently he and Heather argued all the time. More than Heather and Mike argued. But the point of the characters is that Josh is supposed to be the kind of like mediator. He's meant to be the one who sits between them going, guys, calm down, it's all right. Um, So they really had to work hard in the edit to make it not look like Josh and Mike were just two blokes ganging up on the only girl. Yeah, I'd say they failed in that respect because they do incessantly throughout this. Whether she deserves or not is another thing, but... She takes a lot of heat off those two in this. Yeah. Well, things that what's happened so far that you know has happened. I mean, so far in this film, we've seen them get lost and we've just seen them lose the map. They've lost their only map. Yeah, and they woke up this morning and their tent was surrounded by three piles of stacked rocks which weren't there the day before. So they know something's going on at this they point. Know some, but they, they're kind of at the minute blaming each other. Yeah. They're in that denial phase of there's nothing really happening. It's one of us who's setting the other one up. And so all of this, again, is the character building. Um, and great because none of it is scripted. It's all ad-libbed, you know. I would not get on with Josh in real life. This guy? <laughs> yeah. I punch him in the throat. What a I would not. I would not be his friend. I bet, I, bet he think, I, I bet he plays a guitar, but not very well. And always wears that fucking plaid shirt. No, I bet. I bet he thinks that like. I bet he believes in chemtrails. <laughs> <laughs> Very specific. 
and all that like conspiracy crap, he's into it. Maybe he did. Not, not, not like the outlandish ones, like there's alien pod people knocking about and all that. But like you know, the ones about the 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 Rockefellers and all that, they're ruling the world and the Illuminati and the New World Order. But he believes all that yeah. stuff. He's one of them shitheads that sees triangles and everything, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The number oh. 23. Again, yeah. what's yeah. that about? Oh, look at the back of the $1 bill with the eye on the pyramid. It means everything. No, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Why, if they were making a new world order, would they make it so obvious what they were doing by putting their fucking mark on the back of a $1 bill? Just think about it. <laughs> If I if I was going to punch you in the face, I wouldn't send a text message of a photo of me punching you in the face. Actually, for him, I might. <laughs> that seems really good. I think you should. <laughs> Next time you're going to punch someone, just text them first. Alert them. Yeah. <laughs> or just send them a picture of like a fist really close up or a knuckle. Yeah. Go, I wonder what that means. A <laughs> fist with the all-seeing eye in it. Yeah. <laughs> and a triangle. Yeah. Yeah. I bet if they made this film now, one of these boys would be Heather's boyfriend. Ah, well, they did toy with that idea as well, of having Josh and Heather having some kind of romantic fling. What they were going to do was have Josh really um, fancy Heather, really, you know, have a crush on Heather, but Heather be completely oblivious to him. So again, that adds another dynamic. But I think they they said they dropped it because it was too cliched. Um, so, but this is a brilliant reveal. Apparently, this again, they was ad libbed. He put this in himself. <laughs> he said he kicked the map into the creek, and it was just like their reaction to that was was again genuine <laughs> because they lost the map, you know. Yeah, this is beautiful. I mean, you'd you'd think right if you got lost in this woods, you're going into this woods, you know how kind of big the woods is. If it's only a small woods. You'd think, well, just keep walking in one direction. We'll get to a road eventually, or... Uh... Well, just follow the creek. Walk down the creek. Or up the creek, oh, yes. whichever way it was flowing when you got out of the car. Well, I think they end up pretty much up creek in this film. I, mean, I don't want to ruin <laughs> people, but they're yeah. up a certain creek by the end of it. Have they got paddles? I don't think Not they do. No. No. <laughs> yeah. But either way, this whole scene is great, I think. Really, you had get... one job, goddammit. <laughs> yeah, but it's kind of like the beginning of the descent. Now we've had them get together, interview the tanks. Watch. What's that? Oh, descent. <laughs> yeah. Much, much fucking scarier. Yeah. Talk about things coming out of the dark. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's got a couple of alternative endings, hasn't it? It has. They put them in for the American audiences, didn't they? Yeah. This, apparently, they shot an alternative ending to as well, but never used it. And I don't think it's ever been released. Does it involve the dude in the plaid shirt and an Evil Dead-style tree rape? (laughs) (laughs) That I will watch. No, I don't think There is a sequel, though, isn't there? Oh, God. Book of Shadows. Book of Shadows. <laughs> it's so bad. One of the worst films I have ever it's, seen in my isn't life. Isn't it to do with a demonic sex cult? 
Yeah, and they go off into the... It's not even shot like this. It's just a proper film, but it's so bad. It's awful. The story has, like... It doesn't make any sense. And the acting is really bad. It's really badly edited. I just hate that film. It's completely... There's there's some films you just know you don't need to see. Like, I don't need to see Terminator 3. (laughs) You don't need to see Blair Witch 2. Yeah. But people do need to see Blair Witch, I think, because I still... Well, I've chosen it. I chose it basically for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's a really good film. And I think also I know a little bit about it. So I thought I could show off a bit, which I'm doing now. But also I thought um, everyone's got an opinion on Blair Witch. People who've either seen it have got a a story about how they like it, how they don't like it when they first saw it, etc. And people um, who haven't seen it all at least know of it. You know, they know of it. They know perhaps what the story's about, and they. Everybody's heard of it, and everybody's everybody knows someone that's got a story about when they first saw it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it was such a phenomenon at the time. Yeah, I wish I'd seen it the way it was meant to have been seen, which would have been in a packed cinema when it first came out. Everyone shitting themselves. It Although it wasn't, amazing. it wasn't shown in the cinema in Burkittsville, where this is all set. They didn't. Oh, right. show, yeah, they didn't want it. Really? Mm-hmm. Why yep. is that? Um, I guess because it's kind of bad publicity. They had people come into the town and stealing the, the, the town sign on the opening night. People came down to Burkittsville and nicked the road sign saying, Welcome to Burkittsville. That happens in England when there's rude place names. Yeah. <laughs> like when you find a town called Dickhead or something and people are always nicking the signs. <laughs> a town called Dickhead. <laughs> I couldn't think of an actual example then. But yeah. I remember seeing it in like the paper or something where there's some town with a rude name and they're forever having to replace or a road with a rude name and they're forever having to get ever having to get a new sign because people keep nicking it. Mm. So this is getting interesting now, where they're seeing all this iconography and sort of pagan symbolism or whatever you want to refer to it as, but it's it's so primitive that it's effective. It's not done over elaborately. Mm-hmm. It's it's bad enough to look legitimate, which what makes it works. Yeah. Anyone who's like listening to us talk about this film and watching it for the first time, uh, what the fuck are you doing, first of all? But secondly, those. this is a little bit of a spoiler because those twigs don't really come into it again in the way that they had originally planned for. So one of the ideas they had was that one of the characters would be chased by a giant twig man. <laughs> oh wow aren't we glad that that didn't happen yeah I definitely did the right thing there because the beauty of how this actually gets to you and psychologically is that it reserves the scare for what you can't or, or won't ever actually see mm-hmm. and it allows your imagination to run wild which is why it's, it's super effective it puts you in this dark and eerie situation and you have to try and work out for yourself what's going on. So it, it, it really is preying on your own fears internally in terms of what you actually think is going on around the guys in the film. Yeah, absolutely. It's again going back to Brooker's point about being scared of what's out in the dark and you're scared of the dark because it's the unknown. You know, that's a sort of, uh, you know, it's a kind of primeval fear of you being in the cave and outside the cave is dark and you don't want to go out there because you might get eaten. You know, it's that's what it comes back to. It's this whole 
Yeah, just the fear of the unknown. And that's why this works so well, because you you don't see what it is that's making you feel so scared. Yeah, we're, we're getting really into the sort of crucial point of the film now where it's gone beyond a hunch of something going on. They're actually now being sort of stalked by something. Yeah, something's terrorising them. I mean, it's the directors who've just come up and wobbled their tent a bit, but they're being stalked. shots here. This is phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. They're running away in the dark. You can barely see what's going on. Yeah. It's entirely realistic. And yeah, really they well. reckon they're seeing something. You can't see it. Yeah. What, what, do you know what she is seeing? No. One of the cameramen standing off shot in a white jacket with a ski, uh, sort of ski mask on. And she's going, what the fuck is that? And the guy just doesn't... Like pull the goddamn knife out on him. <laughs> yeah. But, I, yeah, I agree with that. I love this scene. And this is always the one that's overly parodied, like in Scary Movie and stuff. You have the, <laughs> the scene of the snot running yeah, out of his face as she's, like, crying into the camera. Yeah. Oh, that comes a bit later. That is that is also the sort of most iconic scene of the whole of the whole film, probably. Yeah, it's absolutely superb. Mm. But again, we're back to the dark. You know, we've just had a glimpse of what the fuck was that, and now it's it's sort of the, the whole screen's engulfed in this darkness again, and you're back to thinking, "Holy fucking shit!" Yeah, there's not many films that I can remember that I've seen like in a cinema setting that actually just plunge you into complete darkness for extended periods of time. But I can imagine it would have been really effective with the right crowd. But there was one film I have seen that did this. Mm-hmm. And it's not a horror per se, but it had the desired effect, and that was Pitch Black. You know, towards the end, whereby um, the gang with Vin Diesel being stalked by the creatures, and there was actual parts of the film where 10, 20, 30 seconds where it's literally complete darkness. And you have no yeah. idea what's going on. It really tense. It's such a simple trick. And there's not many films that immediately come to mind that, that do that. Or at least do it well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no, like what's happened here is we're back to the daytime, so that's the, it's almost like the end point of that section of the film, though. So they've gone from being slightly annoyed to being right. It's one of you who's doing this. Why are you doing this? Why have you stolen the map? Why are you trying to sabotage the project? To now being like. Okay, something out there is trying to get us. What is it? Who is it? Is it someone in the woods, some crazy fisherman with a, a Scooby-Doo mask on? Or is it the Blair Witch that they keep hitting? I think it's just... it. Again, it's, it's just put together so well. There's like this slime that's on the camera, or the, whatever it was that's on the floor. It's actually... It's just said, what the fuck is that? Do you want to know what it is? Jizz. It's... KY Jelly. Wow. Yeah. That is scary. That would be. <laughs> Who's been using this? Oh my god. Heather. Who's been outside my tent? You're on my tent. <laughs> Slapping one off on my guy rope. <laughs> yeah. So. That dude really needs to die. He's annoying the piss out of me. His, his beard and hair seem to have grown longer. He's <laughs> <laughs> only been there eight days. Not even that long at this point. Yeah. He's, so again, he's he this is yeah this is Mike though who's trying to again represent the, 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 the sort of audience and he's saying turn the fucking camera off. 
What are you still doing there? Get out of the woods. Um, which is kind of what we're all thinking, right? Is why are you still walking around here? Are why you going to get across this log with a camera in your hand? Yeah. I think they broke the camera at one point. And they still managed to get a refund. That ain't bad going. <laughs> I did that one to a PlayStation. <laughs> really? It, broke yeah, it. I used to have a PS2 that used to have it standing, and then my mate knocked it over and it jacked the disk drive. So I went out and bought a new one, brought it home, cleaned up the old one so it looked nice, put it back in the box. And no, you've... W.H. Smith's. I did so, that with my, PS, my PS4 when it died recently. Yeah, all right, but... I remember back in the day, we'd go and buy a CD from Woolworths, record it, and then take <laughs> it back and say, oh, I've got the wrong one, sorry. <laughs> 20, 20 refunds later, yeah, I've, yeah. I've got them all wrong. <laughs> yeah. It didn't work for long in a small town where you knew the person behind the till. These are the little life hacks you had to do, though, before like, the internet really sort of kicked things off. Yeah, see, nobody, nobody from this day on will, like Steve, be stuck with a Nickelback album because they wouldn't let <laughs> You wouldn't download a car? I fucking would. Now, this is interesting. The point, though, we're, we're talking about the internet here at this point, and this film was one of the first sort of, like, big successes off the back of internet hype. And I wonder just how much, like, today, if a big film comes out, it's leaked online and people have seen it and it's cost of distributors millions before it's even got a release. I wonder how many people actually saw this through the internet, given how successful it was and how much money it made. Could it have made even more? Or was it because it was so early on that it was exclusive to that behaviour? Yeah, I don't know, really. Um it's hard to say, I guess, and I suppose it, we won't ever really know the answer to that. But I think, just in terms of how much hype was built about uh, around Blair Witch, the 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 whole internet viral marketing stuff has got to play a huge part of that. Um, and it was very different. It was very new and very clever. And, and you know, it's kind of like standard practice these days, isn't it? Everything from like Harry Potter films to the sixth paranormal activity film uses the same technique. You know, it's got a YouTube video, it's got a, a website, and it's got a, sort of a newsletter email, and it's all, it's standard. And yeah, it's a well-oiled machine now, whereas everyone was still learning the trade when this came out. Yeah, yeah. Also, at the same time, you couldn't pull off now what these guys pulled off then. You know, within 15 minutes of the first screening finishing, it would be all over Twitter that it was bollocks. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Social media wasn't a thing. Torrenting no. wasn't really a thing. You had Napster, but no one was doing the same with movies at this point, really. Everything was still oh, on FTP sites and stuff. The effort you had to go to on the old P2P sites to get a fucking movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, LimeWire line, line and Kazar. WinMX. Yeah. Mm. Dear Lord, it's fucking easy to go to the cinema. It was, it really was, particularly if you didn't have broadband, and not many people would at this point. You couldn't download a film on a... Nothing like, watching, nothing like downloading a film on a 512k line. You know, this, <laughs> you know this scene here where they're back at the same log, and they're going, oh no, we've walked through a day and we're back at the same log. Well, guess what? That was also genuine. They genuinely walked in a big circle for a day. It's awfully convenient, isn't it? I mean, I'm saying that sort of disingenuously. That so many things 
are going on in this film that could be perceived as ungenuine, but actually were, yet we're filming a fake documentary, but yeah. so many things are actually happening that makes it better. It's, it's so circumstantial, but brilliant. Hmm. Does anyone have a favourite character in this? Because I think they're all the Blair Witch, likable ones. <laughs> the Blair Witch. Same time. <laughs> I I like the guy in the town. I think he was quite cool because it's he's it, it, really properly setting it up. But of the three, of the main three, the... because you don't see anybody else at all in this film after fifteen minutes. Once the fifteen minute mark's gone, it's just three people carrying the entire film. Um. But I'd like, I like, yeah, I I like Mike. I think Mike is the is the good guy in this. He's the one probably, who's probably has to be the little kid shutting his mum up because she's talking out of her ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there's interesting kind of like backstory to the whole um, of uh, of the Blair Witch. So they they made a, a documentary called The Curse of the Blair Witch, which was shown as and again part of the marketing of the film, and it's what tricked me and made me think it was. Yeah, it was real. Sky prior yeah. to the release, and it made me want to go and see the film. And yeah. so I was sold hook, line, and sinker. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see it at the cinema. I, I turned up on the premiere night, not thinking it was going to be a big deal, but it had sold out massively. So I had to go and see Easter's East. Oh yeah, which was a perfectly good film in its own right. But I was so disappointed I didn't get to yeah. see this, and I then didn't get to watch it at home for a very long time mm. because I found out about the hype being a, a big fake hype train and I didn't rush to see it the second it came out. It actually took a while for me to catch it, but when I did, I watched it on my own late at night and it did the trick. I, I was a massive fan of it. And I'm not like a massive horror aficionado, but this yeah. must have something that taps into a, a sort of non-hardcore horror mainstream. It certainly worked for me. One one of the things I know that does annoy people about it, though, um, I know it definitely annoyed James, who used to be um, on our podcast. He, he One of the things he hates in general about fame footage is who the fuck is watching this? Who's found it? Why aren't they watching the footage back? And the reason for that in Blair Witch is explained in that documentary, Curse of the Blair Witch, because they say they found 11 of the 16mm film canisters and 10 video cassette tapes buried in the ground whilst some guys were doing like an archaeological dig out in the woods. And they that's how they come across it and find out about all this. So it, it neatly wraps up that whole idea that it is found footage. Someone found it and then watched it and then it was edited into this project. And again, it just plays into that whole hype about is it real or not? You know? Um, because they, they explain it away in quite a sort of a genuine way that that makes sense. Someone's doing an archaeological dig out at this this building and finds some film. And when he watches it, he finds out, oh, okay, it's these three kids who went missing in the woods five years ago. But it must be something actually in real life that's come up like that. Not like a supernatural Blair Witch thing, but like somebody's gone and found a camera or a film or whatever. Well, nowadays you'll have and... like... Uh, camera phones, weren't you? People filming stuff on their phone, and so hmm. you look through the phone, and you could probably piece together what happened to them that way. Um, so yeah, I guess it must happen. I can't think of any examples off the top of my head, though. 
Yeah, I'm sure there has been. Hmm. Absolutely. I mean, kids these days don't do anything without filming them, and they don't have to go out of the way to get specialist equipment like these guys did. Oh, kids these days. Kids today. Oh, I bet you're shaking your fist. They've got it. I'm waving it virulently yeah. at my screen at <laughs> your this fist, time. Your fist, or what, what are you waving? Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for someone to lower the tone, it'll be me. As always. Okay, so they've lost Josh at this point. So this is where the shit's thank, hit. Fine. Thank God. Good, he's yeah. left. Now fucking run and get away from him. Yeah. <laughs> Let him die on his own in the cold. Yeah, but they'll probably run around in a big bloody circle and find him again, wouldn't they? They found a McDonald's down the road. He just went for a walk. <laughs> yeah. That'll kill when you. came back, they'd taken their tents. Yeah. Um... Again, so just in the way that the, this was plotted and scripted, because it's not scripted in so much as here is your dialogue, memorise this and read eight wor- eight days' worth of, of script. Out. It was, you know, at this point, Josh knew he was going to disappear. But the yeah. other two kind of didn't really, you know, they didn't understand what was actually happening. So again, they could theoretically think that something's happened here, or they could just be playing with these rolling circumstances that are coming up in the script they haven't seen. Yeah. Which again, it makes it as close to genuine as it can be without being genuine. It's utterly convincing. Yeah. Because they're they're, they're acting so doomed and desperately. You know, they're not like hamming it up or anything like you might do if you're acting off a script. They're just sort of sat in despair waiting yeah. for the I mean, next thing to happen. Have you have it, um any of you seen uh, Bobcat Goldthwaite's film, um Willow Creek? No. No Have you come across it, Bobcat? No. Okay, it's when they go into the woods to find Bigfoot. Some two guys go off to find Bigfoot and they kind of stumble upon a Bigfoot cult of some kind in oh fuck i forgot where the place is where bigfoot is but that place right and um it's filmed in a similar sort of way for the final 20 minutes of that film where they go right tonight you've just got to go and camp because it's a film footage film again right and just it's you just go and camp and it's fine and then in the night skipping over quite an important plot point what is a bigfoot cult (laughs) <laughs> is it, are these, these are the people that go into like Primark and buy all the monster foot slippers and run around the woods <laughs> yeah all in onesies um, <laughs> no it, it, Sorry, uh, cool. I think it's just a, a people who worship Bigfoot or something I can't really remember but that is an example of how not to do this sort of film because that final 20 minutes goes on for so long it is literally 20 minutes of people inside a tent Going, what the fuck is that noise outside? And then occasionally the tent wobbles a bit. And then they go, oh no, there's even more. 20 minutes of this. 20 <laughs> minutes. And then in the final... Outside, it's just a fucking squirrel. <laughs> exactly. Whereas you, you, it makes you appreciate more how well it's done in the Blair Witch Project. You know? Yes, they have them in the tent going, what's that noise outside? And it's just the director snapping a twig outside the tent and stuff. But it's also... Scary. It works. It's short. It's intimidating. It's intense. It's atmospheric. 
Yeah, and, and like we were saying earlier, whereby you know this is a slow burn and it's a big build. We're getting to the big payoff now. We are. Yeah. This is the culmination of, of everything that's happened so far, and the big what if and the big oh my god fucking hell moment. Yeah. So all all of the like you can faintly hear now Josh's voice in the background. That's pre-recorded stuff with Josh that's played on speakers that are set up just everywhere around the woods. So to the characters, they're going, oh, fuck, where is it? Where's it coming from? So, Josh, where are you? And it's I'm in the woods. <laughs> where the rest of you, you fucking idiots? <laughs> Look behind you. Um, See, did nobody think at this point, like, you've managed to walk around in a giant circle and find your way back to where you started. All this shit is time to turn around and go home. Yeah. Don't fuck around. Not another night out here. Let's go home. Yeah. So I think part of it is because you're meant to believe that they're lost. You know? I mean, in reality... It's it's kind of alluding to the fact that they're in an infinity loop, kind of, isn't it? That they're not going to get out. The more they move, the more lost they're getting. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Absolutely, I, I I get that completely. But this is kind of the where when my I can't suspend my disbelief anymore, and I just sit there and go, "Oh fucking hell, lads! You know where you are now. Find your way home." Just because... follow the creek. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because for shit's sake, I don't want to be here any more than you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's interesting to know how much these guys got paid for this because it was a very low budget so they couldn't have gotten much. The film made a ton, so if they're on some sort of like revenue share agreement with it, they would come out of it quite well. But none of them have really gone on to have much of a career after it was only it was only it was only sold. The film was only sold for about a million dollars. Um it was picked up for a million dollars. So I don't know how much of that revenue that it, you know, it made like 200 million or something ridiculous, you know, it made a shit ton of money in um, box office and then video sales and all that kind of thing and merchandise. Um, so I don't know how much of that then trickles back to the people who created the film or whether it was just the people who, you know, distributed it and owned the property. Um because you're right, they didn't really go on to have a huge success afterwards. Yeah, I think Heather and Mike have done some TV stuff. I think yeah. Josh has, has done some stuff, but none of them have had prolific careers, it goes without saying. And I think, to be fair to them, most of them have, have only started doing stuff again now. I think they went a long period after this, probably no one was touching them. In, in 2001, Heather hosted a 1999 edition of BBC Two's I Love the 90s. Wow. <laughs> uh, she what also signed... Career. In 2011, signed a publishing deal for her debut book, Grow Girl, about her time as a medicinal mar- uh, marijuana grower. That was probably more lucrative. Mm. So this bit in the film now, if I'm remembering this right, have they found like a, a bunch of sticks wrapped in some yarn out of Josh's... Sure. Clothes or something. Yeah. And so she's just chucked it away. And he's rocking. He's mad. He's lost it. Um, but uh, again, it's a, it's a bit of, a bit of a dynamic shift because Josh uh, is the expendable one of the group. He doesn't really play a part in terms of you being a viewer and the characters are on screen. You know, Josh is just the, an extra. He's a spare wheel in this. So he's gone. So we don't see Josh. All Josh's part to play now is 
where the fuck is Josh? And it's about the tension uh, that then develops between these two. Um, and so little things like this bundle of twigs right now that have... Okay, we'll wait for the reveal in case people are watching it along and can't remember. But there's something inside this bundle of twigs that is just... Again, one of those things that just made me feel physically sick when I watched it for the first time. Do you guys remember your reaction? Yeah, I was confused. confused. I think... I think I had the reaction, is that what I think it is? Yeah. Because you can't be 100% certain, but you, you kind of know it's it's his heart, right? And it's, no, it's his teeth, hair, and blood. Oh, wrapped in a parcel of his shirt. Yeah. Nice. Someone's probably giving him a good fucking shoe-in. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good shoe-in that they kicked him so hard, his teeth and shirt flew off and wrapped themselves neatly in some twigs. Well, There's... no, you'd, you'd do that afterwards, wouldn't you? <laughs> you would, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, that Josh, I might, yeah. <laughs> yeah, to Josh, I would. Yeah, I can't <laughs> actually make out what that is, other than it's something bad. So, did... did you read up about that, or were you actually able to? No, you can see there's hair and teeth, and then okay. see a yeah. tooth. It looks like a comically large tooth, though. Have you ever seen a proper, like, one of your molars? Oh yeah, yeah. those things are not, fucking huge. Not one of but also, he's wearing a bit a big tooth around his neck. I don't know if you noticed at the beginning. He's got like a, oh yeah, he was. So I don't know if that's what it is. Oh, that's a nice little setup as well that I never saw before. He's wearing a tooth around his neck, and now they've got his teeth in a bill of cloth. Mm. She wearing pajamas. Yeah, girls have to wear pajamas everywhere. I'm surprised she's not wearing Uggs, to be honest. <laughs> Only because Uggs weren't around then. Hmm. They're all in Australia. So now the roles have kind of reversed with their characters, where she's losing it and Mike's the one who's calm and saying, are you all right? And she's sort of panicking. So I wish I could say why they've done it like that. Perhaps it was just because that's how the footage ended up. But again, I think it's, it's quite fun the way that they play with the characters like this play with their roles all the time no one person is one particular thing for the whole movie you know yeah, that's true there's and no black guy who dies first there's no you know slutty teenage girl who goes missing in the middle of the, the film it's just you know it's constantly evolving yeah you do expect the girl to break a little bit quicker than the guys but she doesn't she's the last one to crack yeah which is interesting but she's the driven one of the of the lot, you know. The other two, Josh is kind of like involved in her project. She's the one pushing this forward, and Mike is just roped in as the sound guy, you know. Um, so it takes a bit more for her to break because she's she's resisting it, whereas the others have just almost accepted their fate at this point. You know, because I'm doing this journalism course, one of the things we were told was the, one of the most pointless shots you can ever get is of the sky, because it doesn't mean anything. And there's just so many shots of the sky that come in this part of the film now. And maybe they are symbolic of something, but I don't know if I could tell you what. Infinity. Do you reckon? The endlessness you're just, you're just of staring into the endless hopelessness. 
of the situation. Surely, you know? It's just Surely dense it's sky or dense woodland in every direction, wherever they go, nothing's changing. Mm. It's almost like you have to come to terms with the fact that you're going to die where you are now. And this is, of course, the, the famous scene with the snot bubbles and everything. Yeah. Which is beautiful. I love the hairy nostrils. So hot. <laughs> so natural. <laughs> I just find it quite curious why they decided to not shoot her mouth in this and just the nostrils twitching while she just sniffs some pepper. It's just ridiculous. Angry pig. <laughs> it's dramatic effect. You know, she doesn't have a screen with which to look at herself on. So she might think she's got a whole face. Just terrible with a camera. Well, I guess that's kind of the point, isn't it? Although I guess they could always just crop it. So they might have done it on purpose in the edit. You never know. Yeah, I love the bit in Scary Movie where they're doing this and you've literally just got rivers of snot just pouring out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Giant hubba bubba snot bubble. Yeah. Mm. But this whole this whole scene is probably the most well-known and and spoofed you know scary movie and i think the simpsons did a spoof of it as well at some point it's just it well the simpsons did everything i guess but it's kind of like it is a a classic scene of horror films now it's gone beyond just being that scene in the blair witch it's so popular so yeah known and it's quite crucial as well because this is the first point of the film where she's taken responsibility for getting them all into the situation and she's coming to terms with the fact she knows she's going to die where she stands yep it's regret it's that whole sort of feeling of helplessness it's perfect really for this sort of movie um and it is kind of it is silly because, you know, you can see the tears running down her nose and snot coming out. and it, It's not a flattering shot, is it, really? No, it's, it's, it's pretty gross. But but it works in context of, of the movie. Yeah. Because none of it is pretty. And it also sets it up as the found footage aspect because she's saying goodbye to her parents. Well, like, I want you to find this. Yeah. I want so you to find out what happened to us. So this is the scene of them now hearing Josh's voice all over the place. They just occasionally pick up Josh saying something and just have to try and head towards it. Every time I watch this, but I'm, I'm trying to find more, like more sounds or more possible glimmers of something going on. Yeah. Like and I'm I think from that moment... I'm expecting mo- to find more than I'm actually seeing. Hmm. I think from that moment that you see Heather with a sort of close-up shot of herself, you know, from that point to the the end of this film, though, is almost like a short movie on its own. All the setup and everything is great. I love how it's built up to this point. But you could take this bit, you know, this last sort of eight, nine minutes in isolation and it would still work, I think. Yeah, I agree. Is your opinion changing at all through the course of this film, Brooker? Not really. No, still bored by it. I'm not bored. I'm just, I'm the the people in it are annoying me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know their their stupidity is really upsetting. What do you remember this scene though? I do. Yeah. Okay. And I even. Don't think... 
But like I said, I mean, I, I don't think it's bad. I just, like I said, I was bored the first time I watched it. Watched it, and this is, it's good and it's mm-hmm. tense, but it's kind of, it's unbalanced by the morons crawling around in the dark. <laughs> I think it could be a lot worse in that respect. Mm-hmm. I think they do a pretty good job, to be fair. I think so too. I think I, the, the characterization they bug me. You know the. The, the typical. Uh, I love this bit now. There's stuff all over the walls. There's writing. There's blood splattered everywhere. And, and you again, can just hear the rainy black yeah. and white footage. And there's just like the hints of noise going on. And at, at this point, you still haven't seen anything. Hmm. It's all in your head at yeah. this point. And without overly revealing what happens right at the end. Yeah you get a little bit of something you're not quite sure what it is but you <laughs> gotta keep an eye out <laughs> yeah it's just so i i've seen this film like i said the other day i watched it again um and it's it's not getting to me this time but I, occasionally this film really does just creep me out from this bit onwards it really does it's, i don't Tension know in it is spectacular and it's really well done especially for this bit yeah. I like these shots as well with the windowsills and the doorways, they're all pitch black and it's like, yeah. you can choose one of these but you can't see what's on the other side of that, that door frame. Yeah. So every it's choice kind of is, always, is perilous. They're the things that always creep me out. Hmm. Like, in a big way. I'm, I'm terrified that something's going to climb in through those windows very slowly, Ringu style. <laughs> yeah. You also can see all the sort of, like... Um... Uh, the iconography on the walls and stuff. Yeah, Apparently, and... Apparently, that stuff is done backwards, um, on purpose. Because if it's done backwards, it it gives it a negative vibe or something like that. Like supposedly in witchcraft, um, which is also again one of these neat little things you just don't know about until you read it, and it's it's just makes it even cooler. Are you still enjoying it, Steve? Is it as good as you remember? Um, it's as I remember. Just as you remember it. No yeah. better, no worse. No. I don't know the effect of, of watching it on my own or watching it in the quiet, in the dark, would have more effect than than kind of watching it, but talking to four, three other people. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's all this stuff running into a fucking cellar. Why? Don't do it. Just don't do it. Yeah, he just wouldn't. And there you go. Camera's on the floor. Something's happened to Mike. He's not saying anything. State of that grouting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is now Heather running around trying to find Mike. Cause he's she's not now... on the ceiling, love. <laughs> oh, fuck. Straight into the basement. But this is what I mean, you know, I, I know it's fucking typical horror tropes, but I'm like, if you're going to try and make it realistic, oh, God. realistically, yeah, this is no just... motherfucker... Weird, would be hanging around in the basement. Oh, God. But the whole, you know, at the start, when they're interviewing that guy, and he says that, you know, I think it was the guy in the yellow cap um, who Steve took offence to his clothing. He uh, <laughs> He's the one who says that the kids were found in the woods facing a wall. So, again, like, it's just the foreboding, the setup, and then to have that as the final scene, it's just the perfect circle. It just closes it off. Brilliantly. And there we go. We're done. Interestingly, yeah. I now have 
Paranormal Activity 2, The Ring 2, and The Devil Inside as films Netflix will recommend for me. Uh, for got... Mine's just pushing Beast of No Nation on me again. <laughs> I've got The Ring 2, The Devil Inside as well, and Paranormal <coughs> Activity 4. Both of them. Wow. I won that on the DVD. I won it on an internet competition. Some people say lose. I say won. Yeah. <laughs> I've got really the Babadook. The Babadook. Yeah, not the Last Lord. time I won some DVDs, it was all Danny Dyer stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks, <Wasn't> Paul. <laughs> so, if people kind of enjoyed this commentary of sorts, then... It's not really commentary. We didn't give that much insight, but I think we had a laugh with it. We discovered yeah, it was good, good fun, and I haven't actually seen that for a very long time, so it was it was nice to revisit it at this Halloween esque time of year. It's yeah. pretty cool. And if people like it, then obviously they can just um, send us a tweet. Let us know. You can even to steal an idea from Pick a Flick if you tell us a film that you'd like us to do. Or if you thought we'll this, or if you thought this was sh- it was shit and a waste of an hour and twenty minutes, tell us and we won't bother doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> that too, constructive feedback. I mean, how would we exist without it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Just let us know what you thought. This is a, an idea that we've had kicking around for a long time, and not actually. Done. I think it might have been James's idea, but he's gone now, so me and Owen can take credit for it. Yeah. Some ideas we've had for other films to do. We thought um, originally was the Predator film that. Um, yes. Both Matt and I have on DVD. The exact same DVD. Yeah, I think we should still do that at some point. We might do Predator, because there's just so much to talk about with that film. You'll probably just find I just quote the whole thing verbatim. <laughs> yeah. Ruin it we don't even need to watch the film at the same time. We'll just be reading the script. I think I think something... quote along isn't quite a commentary now, is it? I think <laughs> I think something like Jurassic Park or Back to the Future would work well. Yeah, exactly. Um but, you know, we don't really know what people want to hear. So if they let us know, tweet us in at Failed Critics or Facebook, which is forward slash Failed Critics, or email us if you want, failedcritics at gmail.com. If you want it to be a secret and you don't want other people to know, you can email it. You might not have social media. You might not subscribe to the medium that kind of was pioneered by the Blair Witch Project. That's fine. You can email us instead. Um, or or comment can, on the website, whatever think, you like. I think you can fax us. Uh, yeah, we'll try and find a fax number as well. How about that? Wow. Or phone Owen's car phone. <laughs> page me. <laughs> just send me a you know, just send yeah. me a page. It's fine. Um, Smoke signals. Just yeah. yeah. But thanks very much, then, guys. That was that was great. So thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Um, Brooker, Matt, it was a pleasure having you. And oh, it's my pleasure. It's been a while, so it was good to get back into the reins. That was yeah. awesome. Yeah, and we'll see about doing this again. The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Remixed by James Yule of jamesyule.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com, on Twitter at failedcritics, and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash failedcritics. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.